In today's episode, we're talking about the current state and the future state of sponsorships. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have helped drive success for them throughout their career? Then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, today's episode, we are sitting down with my friend, Nick Lawson. And Nick is the co-founder and CEO of Squad. Now, if you don't know who Squad is, Squad is really a, a company that helps both brands and properties, sports teams, uh, really connect with fans through digital activations, different things like scratch and wins, trivia games that ultimately help sports properties deeper engage fans and sponsors both, right? I think we are all tired of and gone are the days, and we're going to talk about this in the show, of the times when a sponsor would show up at a fan fest and just hand out pamphlets, or when a sponsorship team would simply sell signage at a stadium. Those days are gone, and the the current CMO of a brand wants a little bit more hard data if they're going to commit to a big spend with a sports property. So we're going to get up to speed on where we're at in the sponsorship space today. Now, we had Nick on right before the pandemic, literally weeks before the pandemic started. And at the time, he sort of felt like Chicken Little almost. Uh, We're constantly saying, hey, we're going to go more digital. We're going to move more digital. Sponsorship's going to move into the digital space. Pandemic hit. We had to go digital. So many activations, so many sponsorship relationships with teams were saved because of the work that he was doing with different organizations. Um, So again, they've got great scratch and win games. They've got great trivia games. They've got all sorts of activities and ways that your fans can actually participate, not feel like they're being sold to by a sponsor, and still give their information to that sponsor. So it's really a win for everybody. And the stuff that they do, the activations that they do are are really incredible. So uh, we are going to get into it here. Um, Nick and I talked way too long. And Nick is my go-to guy whenever I have questions about how brands are activating in this space. So selfishly, I asked a lot of questions that I was looking at and that I needed to hear from him. But we split this episode up into two episodes. So this is going to be part one, uh, and you'll hear part two coming up. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend, Nick Lawson. Nick, welcome back to the show. Excited to be back. It's uh, We were just chatting about the timing of the last time I was on here. It was right before the world, entire world changed. So it's it's exciting to be back and, and jam with you. For anybody listening to this, we have had Nick on before, as he mentioned, and it was literally, I think, like March 1st, 2020. And the episode happened to be all about digital sponsorships in sports. And so it was like perfectly teed up for everybody to listen to that episode and then go implement those practices when we didn't have live events. But now we're circling back because it's been two years and a lot of those things that Nick talked about are still just as relevant, even though we've got live sports back and we've got fans back in our building. I think everybody realized during the pandemic that digital sponsorship 
was the future uh, in, mm-hmm. a, in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm excited to jump in with this with you. Yeah, no, really excited. I mean, we we did a during the pandemic, we did as a company just a really deep dive on <clears throat> what sponsorships are, what they mean, what brands want, what you know, what this looks like when we come out of this you know pandemic. So it's been a really exciting journey just to dive into those, have some key findings, and and you know, obviously chat with as many people as we can about it. Well, let's get into it. Uh, but first, I would be remiss if I did not mention that you guys just went to Europe and captured a pretty uh, pretty exclusive, pretty elite award around this Reimagined Football Challenge. Talk to us a little bit about what that was and why you guys were chosen to win. Yeah, you know, really great uh, platform, especially for early stage, but also just any sort of startups or companies. Um I believe it's six organizations over in Europe um, kind of put out a call to action. It's really smart for these teams um, and say, hey, look, we're looking to get better at this specific thing. Um, we'd like startups to submit their ideas on how they can you know, help us do that. We'll filter through some of the ideas. We'll take the ones that we like the best um, and then invite everybody out. For us, for this one, it was in Manchester at Manchester City's um, football academy which is beautiful and huge and insane um but uh then we were able to talk one-on-one with the different clubs um and uh and kind of give our spiel or give our why you know our product would be a great fit for what they're trying to solve and then uh they sort of chose not only you know winners but uh the different organizations chose which teams or startups they wanted to do kind of a, a pilot program with so um it was a great event. Um, it was really cool. We were the only American startup there. So it was really cool mm-hmm. to kind of see how European, not only clubs think about fan engagement uh, and sponsor engagement in our kind of piece of it, but also how um, different startups from around the world are kind of looking at it as well. Uh, so it was really eye-opening uh, on that end. So what was the challenge that the teams put together? And and. I guess, give me a little bit more framework. So it was just the Manchester teams that put out this challenge or it was the entire EPL. I mean, who, who put out the challenge and what was the challenge? Yeah. So reimagined football uh, competition uh, is the Dutch national team. um, Ajax out of Amsterdam, Um, the stadium that Ajax plays in the John Cruyff, I believe I'm saying that right. Stadium. Johan, Uh, Johan Cruyff. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, um, City City uh, or City Football Group, which is owns you know New York City FC, not just Manchester and a, a ton of other clubs across the world, um, and then UEFA uh, was also in that mix as well. So basically, those organizations again came together and said, "Hey, look, we are all similarly seeing something we'd like mm-hmm. to help solve, um, and let's kind of put that out there um, to the so to what, the group." What was the specific challenge that they issued? Yeah, there was kind of two. One, the first one was uh, kind of an in-stadium one um, that was uh, really how do we engage uh, kind of people within the stadium. We actually op- op- opted to go to a different side of it, which was the connect the crowd. And it was really they were looking for ways outside of our stadium. What are some opportunities to uh, really engage those fans? But, you know, from our perspective on the sponsorship side, what are some ways that we can really help connect those? So we've had a product in ideation for a long time. Uh, we call it the fan tile. It basically is a tile with a QR code and a NFC uh, tap to play kind of technology. 
And the idea is that, um, I mean, honestly, what we started seeing was outside of the stadium, sports bars are like the number one place people congregate to watch. Unless you're a team that has a watch party at a particular bar, Mm -hmm. you're missing out on all of those fans consuming and engaging. So um, what we're launching right now, and we'll also launch with one of the teams uh, from the competition is uh, we actually have some bars here in Portland that we're taking this fan tile and putting it on every table. So let's say you walk in and it's the NBA playoffs You'll scan it maybe to look at the menu. It's a big draw, but then it has some of our same activations that have worked in the stadium. We're basically helping bring those outside of the stadium to be able to capture everybody who goes to a bar. So now from a sponsorship perspective, again, this is this is where I geek out. You've doubled your audience on game day because instead of relying on them to open social media and maybe mm-hmm. connect with a highlight tweet or something like that, you're giving them a platform they can actively engage with right there at the bar very easily. And again, if you're Budweiser, if you're Heineken, if you're a lottery partner, everybody's over 21, hopefully in the bar. Um, And hopefully they've done their, you know, done their ID scan correctly. So it's just a very, it's a great audience that you can open up more inventory. Um, I think the last thing that excites me is, if you are a challenger team in a city, meaning no knock to MLS teams, but let's say you're an MLS team in a t- in a city where they have that that's not mm-hmm. Portland because obviously the Timbers huge here, but you know, no, we you, you use FC Cincinnati where I am right now, yep. right? So if you're FC Cincinnati, let's say, and obviously the Bengals uh, and the Reds are going to probably be your top draw, right? Your top uh, awareness within the city. Even UC can, football right now. Yeah, exactly. Even Cincinnati football. You can add a fan tile to every sports bar that's FC Cincinnati branded. And immediately mm-hmm. you've now taken over a city because when somebody walks into the bar, the first thing they're going to see is this tile in the FC Cincinnati logo. And they're going to say, that's interesting. I want to try that out. Then maybe they play a scratch and win to win a free beer. Let's say Budweiser a sponsor for FC Cincinnati. They win a free beer from Budweiser on the scratch and win. Now all of a sudden, FC Cincinnati and Budweiser have basically bought my next beer. I'm building that affinity while pushing toward Budweiser's product. Then I'm playing a prediction game, right? Or then I'm playing um, some sort of photo scramble. And maybe that photo scramble is with a FanDuel or DraftKings, right? Now all of a sudden, I'm interacting with FC Cincinnati in a way that, let's say, the Reds don't have because they don't have that tile there. So from a challenger perspective... If you're a challenger team, which I'm all about challenger teams. I mean, I, we work with, you know, we work with the Bulls who arguably are the bigger, the biggest team brand wise within Chicago. But um, those challenger teams, you have to think of ways of how do I get from third in mind with fans to second or first? And it's just a great way to flood bars with them. Next thing you know, I mean, the real case study on this is imagine if you go to a, a city where there's two MLS teams and you flood the bars with one fan tile, um, mm. you pretty much have just turned that entire city. You know, if there, if there's fans who are kind of on the edge, you know, I don't really follow soccer, but I haven't picked a team yet. They're going right. to pick sort of the team that has that fan tile there. So what is in it for the bar? I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a bar owner, again, I'm using the Cincinnati mindset. I mean, I, I'm spending a lot of time with them right now. Like that, that to me is really interesting. Um, 
what's in it for the bar owner? Why would I do that if I was a bar owner? Why wouldn't I just put my normal QR code that I've had for the last two years on the table? Yeah, I think twofold. One is, as we always talk about in partnerships, IP, right? Um, if you put if you put your games on, you know, let's say you put your own thing up there with a scratch and win, um, and it doesn't have that FC Cincinnati logo, you know, it, it doesn't it might not necessarily pull somebody into play it, right? Um, IP of the team is so powerful to really grab your attention. Um, but if, number but if two, I'm the, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say number two is, um, you know, as we do with watch parties, a big value add to a bar is you're going to send fans there, right? So creating some sort of place where it's like, look, there's tiles at these bars. They have exclusive content and games only at these bars. Um, make sure you go to one of these bars to consume. Then all of a sudden for the, for the bar, they're very excited because they're going to get, you know, hopefully more fans flooding there because instead of just being a bar partner, I mean, we've all seen that. Hey, this is the official bar of so-and-so. That's great, but is that really pulling you in? If you're putting something like a fan tile there, it's really pulling them in because hopefully the content and engagement is top-notch that I actually have a real reason to kind of dive in and go there. Okay, so there's got to be a little, it's, from what, I, what I'm hearing, there's got to be a little bit of push from the team to say, yeah, yeah we're going to send fans there, and as a trade-off, you're going to put our logo in marks. Because otherwise, if I was a bar, I'd be like, y'all got to pay me to throw your marks up and, and put it down, right? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, this is just a more sophisticated watch party, right? So it's the same thing with gotcha, watch gotcha, parties. Gotcha. Like usually okay. bars don't charge. The t I mean, usually bars pay the teams to be a bar partner. Um, right. And then you say, hey, look, here's the official bars. We're going to do a watch party here. Um, you know, one way we pitch this to teams is you can basically have a watch party at every single bar in your city um, with this tile and the content there. Uh, and again, from a sponsorship standpoint, like I'm just thinking of your alcohol category, your, you know, your financial category with banks, um, your Uber rides, right? There's so many categories where I think a big thing in, in sponsorship that's so important right now is context. Why am I buying this asset, right? Hey, if it's just a fan tile that has, you know, a schedule on it okay, or a poster in the bar, okay, well, why am I paying to be on that poster? Oh, no, there's a fan tile. Everybody's going to be over 21. People are going to want to be drinking. They're going to need to ride homes to be safe. And by the way, if you're a lottery partner, they're all over 21. And you can basically have them sign up or play some quick game uh, to engage there. That context makes way more sense than just saying, hey, you're part of our bar package where you're just getting, you know, a, a sign up or a poster up there. Okay, so this brings us now, you know, pivoting to to this bigger conversation about what we've seen over the last couple of years. When we had you on the first time, I mean, one of the big hypotheses that you had was that gone are the days of the brand CMO who buys a suite because he's just trying to entertain his buddies or he has a budget for it and he's a fan of the team and so he wants to do that. Or he thinks that, hey, yeah, saying you got 100,000 people or 30,000 people in your venue is great and that's how many eyeballs we got gone are those days. Now we've got days of CMO of, of a brand that's spending on sponsorship is a lot more sophisticated. That was your hypothesis back then, you know, two years ago when we first recorded. Um, now I hear you saying context is a big thing. How we choose what sponsorships is really important because we need to make sure it's driving to what our actual product is. Talk to us about what that evolution has been like for the last two years. I mean, have you seen that hypothesis come to life? Uh, I, talk us through what you've seen. Yeah, you know, it's 
it's been an acceleration, right? I think the biggest thing the pandemic did on all fronts was accelerate the adoption of digital. I know that sounds very vague, but, you know, over the pandemic, we really, really, other than, you know, working with teams and talking with sponsors, we really wanted to focus in on, hey, why does a sponsor buy partnerships? And why does a person buy, or why does a brand buy Facebook ads? And what are the differences between the two, right? What are the benefits? What are the uh, drawbacks? And here's here's basically what we found. Um, and, and I'll throw some studies in. We actually did studies uh, with some of this at some of our client games. When you really look at sponsorship, and I used to sell this uh, for sports teams, and it, it made so much sense after we really dove deep uh, in, you're really just selling goodwill. You're selling, you're basically loaning your goodwill to a brand and saying, hey, I've built this massive audience. They're diehards. I'm going to let you put your logo up with my logo in my experiences. And I'm selling you that that goodwill is going to lead to more sales, right? That worked for decades. But then what we started doing is once we figured out that's the really the big reason, right? A lot of partnerships around signage and stuff was just goodwill. Then we started thinking, okay, well, why are we seeing this shift to Facebook ads, right? Because I th- as, I, as I mentioned, I think on the last podcast, really at the time I was thinking, look, if you're a brand, you're deciding whether you're buying the sign for 50000 or you're buying a Facebook ad. And you're deciding which one's going to give me the better return. <clears throat> Whereas maybe in the past, that wasn't the case, right? It was just like, hey, I like this team and I think the goodwill is going to convert. Yep. So here's what, we, here's what we came to. And we're still kind of really testing this out um, is – the biggest advantage that advertising platforms have is not the goodwill that they have. Because if you think about it, Facebook just has a lot of people. Or let's go back to the New York Times, right? The New York Times newspaper, when you ran newspaper ads, they just had a large reach. What ad platforms are selling is efficiency. You're basically saying, I'm going to let you reach the most amount of people for the least amount of spend. And when you scale that, it's going to grow tremendously. So if you think about it, so again, when we think about sponsorship versus advertising, the value is if you spend 50000 on Facebook, you know exactly how many people clicked, how many people came to your store, how many people purchased, and then, how, and then you can see, okay, these are the people that didn't purchase. Let me retarget them. Mm-hmm. So the overall hypothesis that we came to was – the biggest problem in sponsorship right now is a this or that mentality, meaning, look, we have goodwill. We've lived off of goodwill for so long, but I'm afraid to add efficiency. And instead of trying to take the efficiencies that Facebook ads have and fuse them into what we have in sponsorship, we battle it. We say, oh, yeah, you could run Facebook ads, but without our IP and without our goodwill, you're not going to get far, right? Hmm. You're not going to connect with that fan the same. So the way we, what we see the biggest problem in partnerships is until teams start bringing in efficiency to be able to come to a brand and say, Hey, look, our goodwill is massive. And here are the direct steps. We're going to turn goodwill into a, into a sale. And really I I talk about this funnel a lot. It's awareness, engagement, um, action, which may be purchase or lead generation 
and then retarget. Those are the four levels that I believe every sponsorship package should have in it purely because Facebook ads have that efficiency. So I think as we look, as we look toward this, you know, the next 10 years post this pandemic, the teams that are able to fuse goodwill, which is very powerful with efficiency are the ones that are really going to command high values compared to the ones that only live on goodwill. But let's flip Mm. that. Or some of the people who haven't built goodwill with their fan bases, but they're very efficient, you're still going to lose because you haven't built that goodwill. So I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen is, and that's what we do, you know, a lot of with our products at squad is look, you have the, let's say for the bulls, you have the Duncan race, right? It's a time-honored tradition from Michael Jordan's days. You always, you know, yell out, hey, I think Cuppy Coffee is going to win. There's entire Reddit's conspiracy theories that Cuppy Coffee wins more than the others. Like, it's it's a crazy, crazy thing. Um, there's people on Twitter who actually track how many times each character wins, and they have probabilities <laughs> on them winning for the rest of the season. It's insane, right? But how do you make that more efficient? Well, the goal of Duncan is to get more people into their store purchasing product. Let's give fans a way to actually choose their character, give their email to do that, send them an offer and then get it to them via email so they can walk into the store and redeem it. And again, as we, as we think about partnership um, assets that we have, we can't just say, cool, you're buying a signage package, 50 grand, have fun on the rank board. And I'll, you know, I'll shout you, you know, the recap meeting is just here are pictures of your sign and here's how many people saw them. Like we can't do that anymore because a brand CMO is going to look at that and be like, man, that's the most inefficient way I've ever spent 50 grand because you can't tell me other than how many saw it. You can't tell me how many people came to my store, how many purchased who they are, um, any demographics on them other than overall. So I know that was a lot to kind of throw, throw at the, the listeners all at once, but I think really when you boil it down, it comes down to we have goodwill on lock for a lot of mm-hmm. teams. How can we make our sponsorship assets as efficient or more efficient than Facebook ads? And that's how you win the deal when a brand comes to you and says, oh, we only spend on digital, right? What they're really telling you is I don't spend on things that don't show me a return. I mean, that's really all. You're saying they're not, say, they're not actually saying digital. They're saying, I want to see numbers, demographics, actual actions taken as a result of this measurable exactly. actions that I can see. Um, I, I'm, I'm really curious, like from the Duncan activation, right? It works great in stadium. I feel like you guys have tried and done some stuff outside of stadium as well. And I, I think about that because I'm, you know, from an engagement standpoint and even some of the, I'm, I'm wearing my brother's creative agency hat rooted. I mean, they, they're doing a lot of stuff around that as well, but the the outside of the stadium, how do we engage fans with content and different things? And I'm thinking about it from, from that perspective. I mean, you guys have, have you guys run like the Duncan contest or other games as ads themselves for the brand marrying some of the IP up? Cause if I'm thinking about it from a team's perspective, how can I get more efficient? It's almost like that might be a way. I I don't don't know. Random, random question that I'm thinking about. Yeah, so um, we do offer the <clears throat> this past the last two years have been the first two years we actually offered the Duncan race to fans outside of the stadium. So you can actually watch the video on your phone as soon as it comes up, and it'll show mm-hmm. the race the same that is showing it in the stadium. And um, 
really that's where adoption really took off because not only were we capturing them outside, I mean, I'm sure most of us have heard this stat in sports, only 10% of your total following will ever walk into your stadium doors. Right. And that's one of those things where 90% of your value is outside of your stadium. How, you know, is the Duncan race reaching them? And if it's not reaching them, how can we reach them? So we actually saw a huge amount of adoption there when we, when we added that outside piece, but we also actually increased in stadium um, engagement because all those people who had been playing outside of the stadium then came into the stadium a month later and said, Hey, awesome. Now I know what this is. This isn't the first time I'm seeing this. I know exactly where to go in the app and where to engage. So yes, I mean, you, you should also outside of your stadium, you should also be looking for ways to um, really aggregate your audience to say, look, I don't just want to reach the people who have paid for tickets. I want to reach everybody. And what are some ways I can create that experience to be able to do that? Okay. So here, here's another random question going down this rabbit hole. Um, the Duncan race outside the stadium, you know, setting that up, does that, does that detract like do the in-venue people, the, the in-venue ops team or the in-venue sponsorship activation coordinator, are they saying like, oh, like that is a value prop for coming to the game. Why would we show that to people outside of the game? Do you get that pushback at all? Or is it pretty much like they don't even know that the left hand's not talking to the right. They don't even know that that's happening. No, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think it's a problem, especially for the Bulls, because, I mean, the Bulls sell out, right? I mean, it's people are going to Bulls games, right? Um, the only time we hear that maybe from clients is if uh, they want to use so, an activation as a way to get people in the stadium, right? And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times when the main goal is to take an activation and say you can only do it in the stadium as a way to drive people there, it's a misunderstanding of why people aren't coming to your games, right? It's, it's, and, and you know this in the experience space, right? You can have the most amazing promotion uh, to get somebody in the stadium, yeah. but if they don't have a great experience, they're not going to be coming back, right? So I think looking at it from that lens, um, the, there's only benefit for offering it to fans outside the stadium because mm-hmm. you're just getting more reach, right? And that's more reach, more engagement, more at-bats to kind of reach that fan with that engagement. The better way to think about it is if a fan outside the stadium engages with this activation, can I make it so that they win something that gets them back into the stadium, right? And that way I'm giving you an incentive to come. Like maybe I give you a $10 off food credit in the stadium where you can only use it in the stadium. Okay, great. You got me. I won this thing, so I, you know, psychologically I'm tied to it. Now I have to go buy this ticket to this game because I have this food credit, right? That's yeah. really kind of a better way. And, and you know, I, I talk about this all the time, whether it's our activations or anybody else's. Activations are not the reason why people are coming to your games, right? They're coming to your games for the experience to watch their team. And, you know, it won't save you in that sense. A lot of times our activations are going to be things that, um, should enhance and help monetize in an authentic way um, for the fans that show up. And then again, as you add that outside of the stadium, for the fans who don't show up, this is almost an audition. Hey, this is really fun. You've never seen the Duncan race live. You've never heard the fans cheer. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get you to a game and let's get you out and engaging uh, on that end. 
Totally. I, I mean, this is a message for all the challenger brands out there that are listening to this. Like if you look at you, what your marketing budget is and, and th- there's a, there's a school we worked with and, and they spent an, a, an absurdly high percentage of their marketing budget on promotions. And I'm like, guys, these college students are not coming to your game because of the free socks. I'm sorry. You might get good feedback that the socks are nice, but they're not coming because of that. And if they are, if the 10 kids are coming because of that, you're just bribing those kids to come to that game. What kind of behavior conditioning are you doing that only come to this game because we're giving you free stuff? Like that's not any type of life. That's not a sustainable lifetime value for your fan. If you're creating that type of bribery behavior, um, that, that, those resources are better allocated into improving the atmosphere and the bigger experience than doing some type of promotion and thinking we're going to get fans to come because of that. What I would even tie that back to sponsorship because a lot of times in sponsorship, what we do is we say, buy this package and you're going to get great seats and you're going to get great hospitality things. And then in year two and year three, they're not resigning. And you're like, hey, I understand. Every time you came out to a game, you had an amazing time. Mm-hmm. What that CMO is going to say is like, yeah, it was great, but I didn't sell anything. Right. Uh, you know, we didn't see an uptick in sales or whatever our goal was. And now I have my CEO looking at a line item budget, you know, of a hundred grand, and saying, what did we spend this on, and what did it get back other than our employees going to games or you taking your buddies to games, right? Um, that happens a lot in sponsorship too, to where sometimes it's like people are baffled. Oh, I don't know why they didn't resign. They seemed real happy. You can really just look at their goal and say, well, did we help them sell more shoes? Yeah. No, we didn't do that. Okay. So why would they ever, you know, come back and, and, and purchase another package? So this is another interesting thing that I've experienced being on the spending side of things in the last couple of years. Right. So we engagement, we had a, a great relationship with and still do have a great relationship with college ad so it's a competitor to d1 ticker uh, email newsletter and we were the title sponsor of that email newsletter for for a long time Uh, and and we didn't renew that sponsorship back in december and it wasn't because we didn't have a great time it's because the names that we were seeing click through through our through our sponsorship were the same names that we've been seeing and we've already made contact with those people and we've already seen. So it's like, it's not that there was a downtick. It's not that we weren't getting traffic, but because we could see the data, we were like, this is the same data. Why am I continuing to spend the same money on there? Right? Like just eyeballs is not good enough. I need conversions. I need leads. And so I think it's the same thing. Like seeing that it, it's, it's not because we're not happy. It's not because they didn't give us great service. It's just because the performance wasn't, wasn't there anymore. Well, and that's a really interesting. So when we were doing all of these, like really doing a deep dive in sponsorship, um, we've all heard, and this kind of goes back to kind of your advertising spin. <clears throat> we've all heard about ad clutter, right? Um, the, the study, which was done years and years ago, so it needs an update, but the study was you will see 10,000 advertisements a day, every single day. No as way, you that high? Is it really that high? Really that high? So it's that high, although the study is probably higher, to be honest, because the study was done years and years ago. So here's what I said. Here's what we said as squad. We said, well, this is very interesting because if you really look at that, the goal should not be that your, your, your coverage, right? It should be that you stand out the most. 
Because if mm. people are seeing 10,000 ads, you don't want to just be, um, you don't just want to be the person who is just a logo. You need to stand out somehow because you want to be the one that's remembered. So what we said was, I wonder how many ads or sponsorship messages fans will see from the time they walk into the stadium until the time they walk out. So we went to sports games ranging from minor league hockey, FCS football, um, Pac-12 football, NFL, NBA. And what I would do is I would sit there and I would click on a ticker every time I saw a sponsorship ad, right? On average, if you take the average from NFL all the way down to minor league hockey, you will see 3,200 sponsorship ads from the time you walk into the stadium to the time that you walk out. That's wild. So what we're doing is we're basically telling fans 50 different, no, 3,000 different things, right? And expecting them afterwards to make a decision based on that. And that's a huge problem. Then what we did is we broke down and we said, well, what happened during the study was I started noticing a lot of this advertising was focused on being seen. So I said, I wonder what the breakdown is from signage to scoreboard reads to concourse signage to what I called participation, where it was like me actively as a fan, half court shot, digital engagement, whatever it is, participating. 99% is stadium signage, scoreboard promotion, and concourse signage. Less than 1% is participation. So basically what we're doing is we're basically just throwing a bunch of messaging that fans, if you, if you really look at psychology of how we deal with advertising, um, our brains are great pattern matchers. It's just out of, you know, out of Mm -hmm. evolution, we've basically said a tree is just like another tree. It's just like another tree because our brains want to save some energy and time. The only time we get out of that pattern matching is what they call violate expectations. So if you're driving down a highway and you're seeing all these trees and then you see a car on top of the tree, Hmm. you're going to remember that tree long after compared to every other tree. And that's because your brain has been snapped out of that pattern matching and saying, wow, that's different. I should pay attention to that. The same goes in our, in our arenas. My, my, I think that other than understanding the efficiency side, the second piece of it is, your fans are going to see 3,000 sponsorship ads per game. How do you make sure that you, that your partners are standing out, right? And this goes back to if you ask a fan, hey, can you name X amount of uh, sponsors? And I do this all the time for fans. They'll name three. Usually two of the three are the ones that have done participation, the half-court shot. Um, mm. you know, the more the, the, Hey, if they score the goal in the first minute, you're going to get a free sandwich, right? Those are the ones that are remembered the most, right? So again, this, this brings it back to, to yours, right? You may not have seen a ton of results because on that newsletter, basically viewers were probably seeing the same amount of an insane amount of ads and now it's on you to stand out right right you have to do some crazy shit to yeah to have it stand out and that and that one as an advertiser if you're listening to this and you're a sponsor 
I would go to my team or your, the team you're sponsoring and say, cool, I'm not buying the signage until you give me something that's going to help me stand out to your fans. I'll co-produce it with you. I'll co-engage it with you, but it has to be one thing. Otherwise, you're not selling me rink boards and a commercial on the scoreboard because fans are going to tune it out. Um, right. For teams, what this means is for every single sponsorship package, you have to have that violate expectation um, thing. It can happen pregame for one sponsor, warmups for another sponsor, five times in the first hockey period for different sponsors. But you have mm-hmm. to have one thing that's going to violate that expectation. Otherwise, I mean, honestly, what you're selling is non-results, right? And this is why brands don't get results. Hey, I sponsored this rink board, but nobody came in. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to find an NHL fan who can name every single rink board partner on the entire rink board. Yeah. I can't even name – like, like we go to a ton of Winterhawks games. I can't name one Toyota. And the only reason I can name Toyota is because we do that – the trivia with them. And I, that stands out on that. So I think, you know, again, it's as we look at sponsorships, it's, it's really rethinking this as can we be more efficient? And part of that yeah. more efficiency is saying, look, we are very inefficient at the messaging we're giving fans. How can we become more efficient by making a few tweaks? Well, and it, it, so, so it's interesting too, right? Like the – so I'm, I'm, I've been working a lot more uh, with my brother's creative agency because I'm, I'm sitting here in their office, right? So helping them out on a, a bunch of different things. And one of the things we're working on right now is we're working with an alcohol brand. We're, we're kind of building from scratch an RTD, so ready to drink like a canned cocktail. So a lot of interesting dynamics here because we're in Cincinnati. I, I think there is a the bang for your buck here ends up going a long way because there's three major sports teams plus UC football. And it's a, it's a tight demographic. Like you can really make some impact here. And so we've been having different conversations with some of the different pro teams, but for us, all of our conversation is like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it from my end. So I think they're, they're getting a, a much different view than just like the regular marketing agency. Right. Cause I, we were having all these conversations. And for me, like the one thing that we're focused on is I'm like, I don't care about your in inboard signage. Like a couple things I want in there is I want to be able to sell that alcohol in the stadium so I can get actual sales, right? Again, talking about using that sponsorship to drive sales. But the other thing that I want is I'm like, can we do a co-brand? Let's, let's collaborate and make an, you don't have an alcohol, like a, a signature alcohol. Let's make signature alcohol drinks, wrap it. It's, it's, I don't want to put the, the team logo on the can. I want the full can if we're doing the bangles to be orange and black, right? I want, I want the flavors to be bangled inspired. I want something really unique that is actually going to stand out because that's the only way we're going to move product at the end of the day. And, and okay, go ahead. I was just gonna say, that's the, when, when, what you're perfectly describing is the violate expectation moment, right? I want an bright orange can so that whether in the stadium and I'm selling it, or at the supermarket, I'm I'm walking down the beer aisle, which here in Portland, Oregon is crazy long because we have crazy amount of microbrews. I'm walking down the aisle, and as soon as I see Bengals orange with black stripes, what I'm immediately – my brain is immediately doing is saying this beer looks different, and that looks like the Bengals. I'm a Bengals fan. So the right. likelihood that I'm going to purchase that is very, very high. And again, what you perfectly described is honestly what teams should be doing. You shouldn't be doing that. 
teams should be like, look, you're a beverage brand. Man, you know it would be cool if we did a custom beer. And I know a lot of teams do this, but and it's bright orange and here's how we're going to activate it. Here's how we're going to do it in the stands in our in you know, in our 21 and over areas like our bars. We're going to have some sort of digital engagement where you can win that, you know, beer. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the types of things that I, I think we don't do enough of in sponsorship to where I would imagine those early meetings that you were having with these teams, the first thing they probably were like is, and here's where your sign can go, where it can be a giant beer can. And it's like, you know, again, in today's, in old school, that worked because that sign at the time was the most efficient way to get to a sale. Pre our technology, you know, pre-technology growth, the advertising strategy was see a brand and I see it enough that hopefully when I'm walking through the supermarket that I purchase it. And you had to wait six months to see if a advertising campaign actually worked. Today, you can see it in real time. So if you're not offering some sort of way for a brand like, uh, like this alcohol brand to see something in real time, they're going to go to something that's going to have that real-time effect on it. Okay, so if, if you're, I mean, again, putting yourself in the shoes of being on that team side, I know we've got some people from Learfield that listen to this, different people in different sponsorship departments. What are some of those questions that you would ask, knowing what you know now, being on, if you were working with the team back in your sponsorship role, what are some of those initial right-off-the-back questions that you would ask before remotely suggesting any ideas or concepts? Yeah, I think... Um, the first thing I would do is, uh, and I always, I always say this, I wish I knew this when I actually sold sponsorship, but press releases. Brands put out press releases and talk about initiatives that they care about. And how do you know that they care about it? Because they paid a PR company or somebody internally to put out a press release. So a press release will tell you about the community initiatives, new products, all of that. So do a little bit of research first. But my first question would be, hey, look, in the next 18 months for your for your company, what's the biggest goal that you have, right? If that's an alcohol brand, they might be. They might say, hey, look, we want to get into every bar in Cincinnati, let's say, right? If it's a more major alcohol brand, maybe they're saying, hey, look, we kill it for the older demographic. We're really trying to get younger demographic people to start drinking our drinks, right? That fresh out 21, you know, we want to, we, we want to be able to reach them. And instead of saying like, hey, what's your biggest struggles or what are you trying to achieve with this partnership? You're actually getting them to say what their overall company goal is, right? So first, really understanding that company goal and then saying, amazing, what were you hoping for us to be helpful? You took this meeting either out of a cold call or you did research. What's best case scenario for you? in any type of advertising, but particularly with our sponsorship. Then you're starting to understand why they approached you. And funny enough, here's what here's what you'll figure out. And this is a lot of times why we get ghosted in sponsorship is a brand will tell us, hey, I really want to connect with the community and the fan base. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, cool, let's do some signage. Let's do some, you know, player appearances, all of this. And then you put together that package and then they come back to you or they don't come back to you or sometimes they come back to you and say, hey, we're going to pass. And you're like, I have no idea why they passed. Well, again, that marketing person who you had the first call with probably didn't tell you the overall vision or the overall goal for the company over the next 18 months. 
And the CEO probably saw that package and was like, this says nothing about reaching a younger demographic. Why would I ever purchase mm-hmm. this? So I think the first question is, what's your company goals? Second question is, what did you hope to achieve? The funny thing is when I've seen this happen in a partnership meetings recently, is sometimes somebody will say, hey, we hope to achieve this. But now that you asked me the first question, this is a very important part of it to get this done. And then from there, again, it's it's basically your job as a, in my mind, your job as a partnership um, activation or salesperson um, is to say, well, you're at point A, meaning either you're renewing and you have some game with our fan base, or you're coming in as a fresh new partner. How do I give you from get you from to the fan? I don't know you to I'm a frequent purchaser. And what are the exact steps in that? And I can show, I mean, this is the the holy grail that I'm trying to get within partnerships. When you figure out your Facebook ads, you can say, if I spend 50K, I'm going to make back 150K. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. a machine. And at that point, you're just running. You you may have to make a few tweaks here and there, but you're just running this formula. We don't have that in sponsorship. If you can create a package that you can say, hey, look, my goal in the first year is to get you to figure out for every dollar you spend with us, you're going to make $3. And then we're going to basically build a machine. So when you sign your 10-year deal with us or your five-year deal with us, we'll tweak some things. We'll, we'll change as you know our fans change. We'll do some exciting things in between. But why are you going to come back to us for 10 years straight? It's because for every dollar I spend with you, I get $5 back. And that's just a machine that's going to only grow upon itself and exponentially grow the more I spend with you. And I think that's where those first two questions gets you to a point to say, I figured out your goal is alcohol sales with this demographic. Here are the exact steps we're going to get here. Let's take the year to figure out that exact formula. Once we figure out that formula, though, we're good. Mm-hmm. You know, you should you should expect me to just return money to you. And that's how you I mean, honestly, that's in my mind, that's how you get somebody to purchase from you year after year after year. It, it has been super interesting, like working on behalf of and, and with this alcohol company is like in all the sponsorship conversations we're having, whether it's with a music venue or a festival or a sports team. There's not been a single rep from any of those properties that has been like, if you spend X with us, we're going to get you to here to Y. Everybody's been just, in, instead, it's actually been the complete opposite. It's been like, yeah, like we'll help you. You know, you'll probably sell some of this stuff, but like you shouldn't expect to make your money back from this sponsorship alone. It's about the awareness. And I'm like, you're not really inspiring a lot of confidence for me to spend my money with you. Like we'll go, we'll, we'll go look for the next one. And again, as I, as I said earlier on, that is a dependence on goodwill. That is, that is using goodwill as a crutch. Hey, look, we're not going to actually as a, so, so advertising is marketing. What you're basically saying is as a marketing vessel, I'm telling you that I can't promise that you'll get your money back. That's like, that's like selling me a car and saying, look, man, I can't promise you this thing's going to last for longer than a year. But man, does it have some blue suede seats inside. And it's going to be real nice. And for that year, you're going to look real cool. But in a year, you're probably going to have to buy a new car because I can't guarantee the engine's going to make it that long. Would yeah, anybody buy that car? No. Absolutely, absolutely not. not. And this is what, uh, and again, it, 
What drives me crazy is um, is this in sponsorship and, and, and really why we did a lot of this deep dive is what I wanted to figure out uh, was what, how can I best explain to teams what the problem really is? Because I think in sponsorship, we don't really know what the problem is. Thank you guys so much for listening to part one of our conversation with Nick Lawson. Tune into part two to hear actionable strategies and insights for what you can do today and in the future with sponsorship.